just between us ghoul friends. This week's topic is ghosts and haunted places. Paranormal things and activities. Um, before we start, I think we have to all tell, do you believe in ghosts? Mm. And why? Ooh. Ooh. I don't not believe in ghosts, but I've never had an experience that, like, makes me for sure believe in ghosts. You know, people are like, oh, I've for sure, like, seen a ghost or felt a ghost. And, like, I've never personally had one, but I also am like, sure, like, they might be out there. I just don't know. I think I think that if the ghosts exist, then part of me is like, that's sad because they're trapped. Oh. You know? Like, are they actually, like, dead or are they in this in-between? Can they not pass to the other side? Right. Mm -hmm. So I would rather there not be ghosts, but who knows? I also don't really know. What, but, like, what's the difference between a ghost and a spirit? Are those different I feel things? Like, are I those think the same thing? Are they more is, religious than the other? <laughs> a spirit is like, I think ghosts are more of like a tangible. Does that make sense? Where a spirit is more of like a feeling, like an aura. Like I think I you believe, feel a spirit versus like a ghost is something you could like maybe see a ghost. I don't know if I believe in ghosts. I think I believe in spirits though. And like I always, I heard this thing when I was younger and for some reason it's never left me. That like, you know how you get that shiver through your whole body where you're like, ooh. And you like have to like shake it out. Like, someone once told me that's a spirit passing through your body. Oh, gosh. And so every time I get that, I'm like, ooh. There he is. stepping on your grave. Oh, I'm like, inside of I hope not. Somebody's stepping I'm on stepping your grave. Stepping on my, like, yeah, that's what, like, a shiver is, like, someone stepping on your, like, future grave. Like, Ooh. wherever that Oh, goes. well, I'm not getting buried. Do you already so. have that, like, booked? You're, like, your grave spot <laughs> is like, like somebody's creating it. I do not want to be in the ground forever. <laughs> I'm going to be, um, I'm going to do that pod thing where you get turned into a tree. Oh. And you get planted, and then my kids can come and visit my tree. I don't really know if I believe in ghosts. It's weird, because, like, I, I actually don't really believe, think I do, but then I'm, like, terrified of them, which is, like, kind of a strange thing. And I think I'm almost more terrified of just, like, and it's so weird, I'm, like, terrified of, like, my family members, see, like, coming back and, like, seeing something I'm doing. Okay, so today we're going to go through three different ghost slash haunted stories. Or I guess how we all have our own take on a ghost slash haunted story. Okay, so I'm telling you guys the story of the Valeska Axe Murder House in Valeska, Iowa. Okay, so on the night of June 9th, 1912, Josiah Moore and his wife, three sons, and daughter attended an evening church service before they returned home accompanied by two friends of his daughters who were invited to spend the night at the house. So Joe and Sarah were asleep upstairs while the four children were in the room down the hall, and in the guest room on the first floor were the two girls, uh, the Stillinger sisters. So around 7 in the morning the next day, a neighbor noticed that the house was unusually quiet, and when she found that the doors were locked and all the windows covered, she called the Moore's brother, because back then nobody locked their doors. They live in Iowa. Who does mm. that? Um, so the brother came over, he unlocked the house, and he found his relatives' uh, bloodied and lifeless bodies in their beds. All of them. All of them. Even the two girls that spent the night. Uh, so the police determined that the Moore parents were murdered first with obvious force. The axe that had been used to kill them had been swung so high above the murder's head that it gouged the ceiling above the bed. Joe had been hit with the axe at least 30 times. 
and the faces of both the parents as well as the children had been reduced to nothing but a bloody pulp. Oh, yeah. tough way to go. So, <laughs> right? Ouch. Uh, so, the local officials quickly lost control of the crime scene because an estimated 100 people arrived at the house from the town to gawk at the mutilated bodies. So, they literally, everyone just, like, walked through it. They couldn't... What? Yeah. They're just like, hey, I kind of want to see this dead guy today. Mary, yeah. you want to meet me over yeah. the, the that's some, killer house? That's some Iowa shit right No, but, yeah. like, like, I'm fucking bored. <laughs> I've been in corn mazes all fucking day. <laughs> Can someone die around here? <laughs> Listen to this one, like, this next part. So, one of the townspeople kept a part of Joe Moore's skull as a keepsake. So, I vibe with that guy. Same. <laughs> yeah. I wrote, what the fuck did they investigate this weirdo? <laughs> so, like it's Iowa. It's Iowa. It's just another guy. <laughs> so it's 1912. Obviously, fingerprinting was not a thing yet. Um, so because of the massive disturbance by all the onlookers that came through, detectives uh, could not collect sufficient evidence for a conclusive investigation. Um, so the gouge marks across the bedroom ceiling revealed that the killer's height was, like, it had to be, he had to be a certain height, so it knocked out one of their short suspects. Um, what else? Where were the suspects from? Like, where were they getting this list of suspects? Just, like, like the 90 people the, that lived in the town? Well, like, yeah, like, in the town, the it, was such the a, it was such a small town. Um, so after the murders, the killer had set up some sort of a ritual. He had covered the parents' heads with sheets and the children's faces with clothing, and they went through each house or each room in the house, and he covered all the mirrors and the windows with cloths and towels. And at some point, super strange, he took a two-pound piece of piece of uncooked bacon from the fridge, placed it in the living room with the keychain next to it. Don't know. And a bowl you of water. You don't know about that. And the, <laughs> the, the usual move. to cleanse the spirits. Yeah. So there was. Uh, if they were Jewish or Muslim, maybe that was like any something against well bacon. So, the bodies of Lena and Ina Stillinger, which were... Well, first of all, don't call your children Lena and Ina. (laughs) I kind of like it. ...were discovered in the downstairs bedroom. So, at the base of Lena's bed, a kerosene lamp was found, um, which was possibly used to project light onto her body, um, and the killer left her laying in a sexual pose with her underwear missing and blood smeared across her legs and defensive wounds wounds all over her arms. Oh my gosh. So investigators believe that she was a victim of sexual abuse and also the only member of the house who attempted to fight off her attacker. Which I'm confused by because wouldn't you hear the commotion going on? Like, he's already killed, what, six people? Yeah. You would think... You would be like, maybe she had her earbuds in or something. She's watching. She's binging. She's been... <laughs> Um, so, this, all this information is from a Vice article, and I found another article from the Travel Channel that said, like, about more suspects, that the police found someone that actually confessed to the murders, but he later recanted his statement and claimed that he only confessed because of police, police brutality. His name was Jacqueline Kelly. He was an English immigrant. He had a history of sexual deviance and mental problems, and he admitted to being in town the night of the murders. Uh, he admitted that he left the next morning, and his small stature and his meek personality led to the police to doubt that he could do it, but there were also certain factors that made him the perfect candidate. Like, he was left-handed, and the blood spatters that the police Left found, piece. like, kind of determined that the killer must have been left-handed. He had a history with the Moore family. 
People had seen him watching them while they're at church and about in the town. I thought this. they said this guy landed the day before and left. No. Um, oh, he was like a local. He was there that night and he oh. left the next morning. Uh, so a dry cleaner in a nearby town had received bloody clothing from him a few days after. And he'd also reportedly asked police for access to the home after the crime while posing as an officer. And I was like, it's totally him, because, side note, a lot of serial killers like to insert themselves yeah. into investigations to relive the murder because mm-hmm. they're sickos. And to throw them off the trio. Yeah. Okay, so now to the more paranormal stuff. So that was the murder. So Martha Lynn bought the house in 1994 and restored it to its original 1912 condition. Uh, she says that there are very few guests that spend the night in the house that go away without experiencing something. Does she, like, Airbnbs it? I don't know. I think you can just do, like, either a tour or you can, like, pay to spend the night. It's, like, $428 a night. Apparently people pay good money to uh, sleep in the presence of potentially malevolent spirits. (laughs) So uh, people say that they have seen a man with an axe roaming the hallways, heard the desperate cries of children in their bedrooms, become trapped inside the bedroom closet on the first floor where Lena was thought to have hidden from her attacker. And um, in 2014, Robert Robert Stephen Larson went with some of his friends to this house to spend the night, and they were just doing like a fun little, I don't know, like sleepover, sleepover, yeah. wanted to Usual. find a ghost, whatever, <laughs> as one does. Um, I so, can't get over the guy who got the skull and brought it home with him. I know. Like, it was Why? a long time ago. Yeah. Like, He's people, like, oh, that wasn't this, like, is, this is cool. Maybe I'll make a necklace out yeah. of it. <laughs> no, no, like, that wasn't, like, as gross back then, I feel like, you know? Yes. It's just, like, you're more... I, people deal mm-hmm. with horse poo all day long. Yeah. Human skull's nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, he was alone in the northwest bedroom, and the rest of his friends were outside, and he started calling for help, and they couldn't get to him. So, then his friends found him inside of the room, stabbed in the chest. <gasps> no! Apparently, <laughs> apparently a self-inflicted wound, uh, and the incident happened around 12.45 in the morning, which is said to be the approximate time that the 1912 murders of Josiah and Sarah took place in that same room. <gasps> what? What? Did he die? No, he actually didn't die, but he... Did he tell them? Like, hey, guys, it was... <laughs> he refuses to uh, comment on what happened that night. No, like, he hasn't told anybody what happened. So, I don't know. Think Like, that is the story of the Velisca Axe Murder House and the haunting. So, I don't know if you uh, you guys are interested in taking a trip to Iowa. It's not that far away. Let's do it. <laughs> no. Why? I have a question. Yeah. So, do you guys think that people... So, you know, people went to this house and they knew the story. Mm-hmm. And so then they say, like... Oh, I saw an axe murderer. So do you think that part of it's like, you know, if you're in a place that you don't know it's haunted and you see a ghost, like, is that more believable than when it's like a place that's known to be haunted and it's like, oh yeah, I saw an axe murderer too. I don't know, but you could also like scare yourself because this house doesn't have plumbing or electricity. So it's like when you're sleeping there at night, it is dark except for like whatever lantern or flashlight you have with you. So... You could honestly, like, scare the crap out of yourself yeah. and, like, be so anxious and nervous about that you, like, think that you're feeling things or seeing things. See, like if you're expecting it to happen, right. then you might imagine it happens. Right. I don't know. And 
like Martha Lynn that owns the house would actually be like, mm, not a lot of people actually see ghosts, <laughs> right? <laughs> She's like, mm, it's not haunted. But that's really terrible marketing, Martha. Right. right. I always think that I would do things like that, but I don't think I could ever like sleep in a haunted place. Yeah. If I, don't I think I knew it, I wouldn't I could go visit. Purpose. I think I could visit. Like I think I could visit at night, maybe do a little walk around, a little tour, but I could not sleep there. I would have to be with like um like five huge men which also sounds more like a gay thing, but like <laughs> like I would have to be surrounded by people that but then I'm like that make you feel safe. Yeah, I just yeah. I couldn't I don't think I could do that. Right. Yeah. So that's my hunting. Hmm. Hmm. Mine's a local story in Chicago about the Italian bride. So Mount Carmel Cemetery is like just outside Chicago in mm, Carmel. Is Chicago then? <laughs> okay, sorry. This is Greater a local Chicago from area. Carmel, Illinois. <laughs> That's what they all say. I'm from Chicago. This is Chicago land. Mm-hmm. Um, so it used to be a cemetery that was like for bishops and archbishops in Chicago, but it's really most famous for the burial place of Chicago mobsters Al Capone okay. and. Dion O'Bannon, but it's also haunted by the Italian bride, Julia Basola Petta. Yeah, (laughs) so I'm really confident about that pronunciation. (laughs) I know. So she was born in Italy, and when her father passed away when she was a kid, her mom emigrated them to the United States, and. In 1920, she married Matthew Petta, and after soon after that, she became pregnant. So there were complications during her childbirth, and she ended up dying, and so did the baby, a boy. And so traditionally in Italy, like if a woman dies during childbirth, they're seen as a martyr, and to symbolize that, they're buried in all white. So she was buried in her wedding gown with the baby in her arms. So her mom, Philomena, was obviously heartbroken from her daughter's death. But, like, soon after the funeral, she started getting all these, like, weird dreams of her. And Julia was, like, coming to her in these, like, terrifying nightmares, asking for her help and saying she wasn't really dead. And so, obviously, Philomena was, like, freaked out by this. And for the next six years, she tried and failed to have the grave opened so she could, you know, see because her daughter was coming to her saying she's not dead. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I think after six years, she's probably done. <laughs> <laughs> she's eaten. <laughs> but so, for, like, it took six years, and finally a judge, like, just honestly based out of her persistence, they granted her the right to, like, exhume the coffin. So the casket was pulled from the ground and opened, and Julia was in there, but she was in perfect condition. Um, what? As though she was just, like, asleep. Like, People who were there when they pulled the coffin out, they, like, touched her skin and stuff, and she, it, like, felt like... No. And, like, there was still, like, pink warm. in her cheeks. Not warm, but, like, it was, like, pliable. It was, like, not... I don't know, not, like, stiff. Like, right. I don't really know. She what hadn't rotted. Yeah. She hadn't yeah. rotted at all. And the baby had. So the coffin and the baby had both decayed, but her body was, like, in perfect condition. 
from this incident, her mother like was able to raise all this money and they made this huge big statue for her. And they took a picture of her that's still like on her grave today to prove that she looked like this. Whoa, we gotta visit that. I know, I kinda wanna go see. Do a seance. <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> I've done one. So Philomena, like all these people donated money because a lot of them are Catholic and they believed that, you know, this was a sign from God that she was um, incorruptible and that made her a saint. Hmm. So a lot of people like donated money and whatnot. And then some people who are obviously skeptical thought it was a hoax, but nobody could explain why the coffin is decayed and why the baby is decayed. Now, if you go visit, there's been like all these reports of a ghost. It's a woman in white who haunts the cemetery, and she's been seen in the daytime and the nighttime. And a lot of people who believe this story believe it's Julie's ghost as the Italian bride. One time, like a boy was left behind in the cemetery. And when his family came back for him, they said that he was, like, with, like, a woman in white. And as soon as the boy made it to his family, the woman disappeared. Who like, the fuck yeah. leaves their kid I know. in a cemetery? She's just the ghost watching over, watching the over kids all the lost children. But uh, it's thought that, like, Philomena came up with this, like, wild story because she hated the husband. Um, and, like, made up all these stories and whatnot, but nobody's been able to explain, like, why her body had never decayed at all. That's crazy. Wow. Wow. So they have a picture of her on their on the grave. Yeah, so the mom, like, took a picture of it, and, like, it was online. Like, you can see it, and she looks, like, normal, and you can see all the dirt, like, from they dug up the grave, and, like, the coffin is, like, destroyed, like, from being in the ground for six years what yeah i don't know if I, now i'm like even more i feel like i'm even more not believing of ghosts because i'm like now i think about it it's like why would why would somebody good stay here what's the point of that and why would they have to i don't know but don't forget to put your family's photos up on your ofrenda My story is about the Eastern State Penitentiary. So the Eastern State Penitentiary opened October 25th, 1829. Um, it was opened as a part of the reformatory Pennsylvania system, and the vision for this was to create more humane prisons um, where people are taken care of better. They built it with Gothic architecture, which was intended to kind of intimidate people. And if you haven't seen the Eastern State Penitentiary, seriously look this place up. If you can imagine it, it is four walls that just surround these huge, huge towers, brit or uh, stone walls. It's crazy. Isn't it like massive? It's massive. And it's right in the middle of, well, now I'm sure today in Philadelphia, it's right in the middle of like center city, I mean, almost center city. It's like very, very close to the downtown area of Philadelphia. Wow. Um, but it's crazy. And these walls are, I mean, they must be... 40 feet tall, 50 feet tall. They're insane. Um, so anyways, when it was created, it was meant to hold 200 prisoners. Um, in this prison, they housed mostly maximum security, and it was supposed to guarantee absolute solitary confinement. So like one person, you don't communicate with anyone else, like you are in this prison by yourself. 
And this is supposed to be more humane? Exactly. Yeah, you can understand why. I think think the idea of a more humane prison, more power to you, obviously. But, like... I feel like if it's supposed to be, like, an insane asylum, I don't know if that's what it's supposed to be yet in your story, but you would go insane if you don't, don't have any human contact with anyone for an extended amount of time. Like, how can that possibly help rehabilitate people? Yeah. I mean, so, like... When I say absolute solitary confinement, it was insane what they did to these people. So they literally created prison cells that were just um, stone cells with a door that cut off sound Mm -hmm. to the outside. So it was like dead silence. You had extremely limited interaction with guards, like minutes a day. And when you left your cell to go to get your maybe half an hour of outdoor time. They put bags over their heads so that you couldn't see any other prisoners that were there. And you would go outside into another stone cell that only had the top open to, like, the sky. So it was, like, insane, insane solitary confinement. So crazy stuff. And it ended up, it wasn't so humane after all. Um, there was extreme... Yeah. yeah. There was the extreme, extreme abuse of prisoners. So, for one example, they would dunk prisoners in ice baths in the dead of winter and then hang them up outside so that icicles would freeze on their bodies. The yes. For what reason? Torture. Just, Just a oh. bunch of assholes. Granted, we don't know. Maybe those guys are rapists. I mean, sure. Hang up with an ice cold cold. I don't care. That's fine. But yeah. So crazy stuff like that. Um, they would. They had this thing called the mad chair. They would bat, like literally squeeze your body until it could not be squeezed anymore. Like bound you so tightly that you would lose circulation of everything in your body. Um, they had iron gags. So iron balls in your mouth that would rip out your tongue from your mouth. <laughs> like, stretch it out of your mouth. Yeah. So these ghosts are fucking mad. Maybe <laughs> so. I mean, I don't know. That's okay. They're not happy ghosts. Some of the popular inmates, shout out Al Capone. Ayo. Story connection there. Um, and then another popular one is Slick Willie. Willie Sutton was a robber. So it housed really, really infamous um, criminals in the day. Eventually, years later... The prison left the PA system and became less solitary, so it became more of a maximum security prison, and essentially left this whole idea of humanity, which wasn't really happening anyways. But a prison that was meant to hold 200 people ended up housing 1,700 people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So there was, like, four in the cells that were holding one person, these very, very tiny cells, um, with you know, no windows, nothing, we're now holding four people. Mm. Um, they would have four inmates to one cell, and by the end of this prison's reign, by the time that Eastern State Penitentiary was over and it closed its door, they had a death ledger with over 7,000 deaths. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And most of these deaths were tu- tuberculosis, but others were also, you know, suicide, homicide, One of the more famous stories from Eastern State Penitentiary happened in cell block 8, cell 49. Um, So the one to visit. Yeah, and we should check it out. (laughs) Inmate Joseph Havel stabbed his roommate George Kopp 
with a pair of scissors. Oh. 89 times. Oof. Think he was dead, buddy. The first right. 10. How much energy does that take to stab someone 89 times? And once mm. they're dead, it's like... Yeah. Yeah. So, ghost hunters have visited this cell, um, and with different paranormal activity tools, they were able to kind of... And I don't know how much of this I believe, but there's uh, there's a tool that you can use to... It's like do ESP it's, or Yes, something. ESP. It's like a radio transmitter, yeah. but you... Do it based on decibels. I don't know. Someone else look it up. I don't know a lot about it. But they use these to try to communicate with spirits. Um, and while these ghost hunters were in there, they heard things like, oh boy, get out. Just telling them, like, get out. What are you doing? Things like that. So really creepy things. Um, another story is there's another popular cell. It's cell block 12. So about 12 is known to have echoing voices and cackling because this is the cell that prisoners rioted and started uh, fires within their cells. So in that cell block, I think it was 20 people died in one night. And so you hear the laughter from the psychotic people who were happy to be killing all of their friends and, well, friends, their inmates. Um, but the echoing of people screaming, wanting to get out and having nowhere to go because guards were not going to go in to save them. Cell Block 4 was known for ghostly faces. And the most famous is Cell Block 13. This was referred to as the hole. So at one point there was a group of 12 inmates who all tried to escape the prison. And they ended up getting put in cell block 13. Um, it's called the hole, but it was also known as the punishment block. So this is where you went when you were already in trouble. Um, and it was essentially similar to like solitary confinement, but it was half the size of the cell block that you were already in. This is, there are four solitary cells within this cell block where inmates were locked. It, they were poorly ventilated. You couldn't get a lot of air. Again, somewhere they were dirty, disgusting, mud-filled because they were at the bottom of the jail. Um, and they were kept there for months on end. Um, so one of the legendary ghost tales comes from Gary Johnson. Thank you, Gary. Sounds like a nice guy. <laughs> so Gary, Gary is a nice guy. Gary is the maintenance, one of the maintenance guys at Eastern State Penitentiary. Poor oh. Gary. In 1948, he opened one of the cells in cell block uh, 13. And says the force gripped him so tightly that he was unable to move. He said a negative, horrible energy exploded out of the cell. He said tormented faces appeared on the cell walls. Freaky. Yeah. And throughout the years, there's been tons of different documentaries about this place. There's been tons of ghost hunters, per se, coming in here and visiting. Um, and now... You can do ghost tours during the day, but it's actually now um, they've created a haunted house within it, and they call it Terror Behind the Walls. Nope. <laughs> you. And it's insane. I, have, I haven't I have visited and done, like, the ghost, the real ghost tour, but I have gone to Terror Behind the Walls, and when I tell you this place, like, you walk in, I've never felt, like, an aura of just complete evil and just terrified and obviously it was you know there's people in costumes as well and there's a lot of scary things going on with the haunted house but the architecture isn't incredibly intimidating it's incredibly scary and when you are inside of it you're inside of these four confined stone walls it's like one that of the most terrifying things so scary yeah like i've done you know like a ton of haunted houses and stuff 
that's so different because it's like they take you know like a warehouse and like make mm-hmm. it into like a maze and make that a haunted house but it's like when you take an actually haunted place or a place where people were murdered and then make it a haunted house like that is so You're different for trouble yeah yeah wild that is wild yes but I would totally recommend if you're ever in Philadelphia, you gotta Check visit because out. I regret. I mean, I'm going to try to go back and actually do a real ghost tour. Um, but the kind of crappy thing about their ghost tours is they only do them during the day. Mm. I would but, much rather do it during the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad about. That. I want the scary stuff. I want someone to like lock me in a cell and like close the door. Okay. okay. But like nothing's gonna happen. So, any changed thoughts on ghosts slash haunted places after three haunted stories? Mm, not really. I still stick with my spirit, my spirit thing. I'm a spirit gal. Woo! I still think I'd have to like have a personal interaction to believe it, and I'd much rather have one with the spirit that's positive. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Not yeah. someone who's mad because he got stabbed 80 times by a pair of scissors. I like the idea of, like, haunted places rather than haunted houses. I don't think I'd ever want to experience something in a haunted house. It just seems too personal. It's so, like a house scares you more than a haunted prison. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I guess I guess the house, yeah, the, the personal thing. Yeah. It's more scary. You're in their home. Right. You're invading their space. But then also, you could say, like, okay, well, I know exactly what happened here. I sort of know more what to expect versus the prison where you're like, all right, there's been thousands of people yeah. going through this, so you also, don't even know. Also, prisons are so big, and, like, some of them are so, like, dilapidated that it's, like, I don't know. Like, it's it's so much creepier than just, like, a house. I don't know. I don't even like fake haunted houses, so I'm I'm out. You, <laughs> you don't? can go to the prison. You can go to the haunted house. So you don't want to go to a haunted house. I don't. Ooh, that really, I get that really messes with my October plans. <laughs> I get picked on because they know I'm so scared. I always get singled out every single time I'm in a haunted house. I just laugh. I don't. I see. I get scared. I like the feeling of being scared though, but I do get terrified. About everything. Mm-hmm. I just hear that. Life. Just, like, laugh. I don't know why. That's my first reaction is to just laugh. Well, this has been just between us, ghoul friends. <laughs> Tune in next week when we talk about cults. Oh, yikes! And are we secretly in one? <laughs> <laughs>